So uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, NFL is back. How many of you love NFL, like football? Anyone? Okay, so a couple of you guys. <laughs> so maybe our, our fanatics, those who really love NFL right now, might be tuning in online. I don't know. <laughs> this week is, is the first week of NFL. Uh, we had the first game on Thursday, and then there's a lot of games on Sundays. And so it's been really difficult having a service at 2 p.m., right, because it clashes uh, with uh, the game schedule. And we're not changing, by the way, our service time because NFL games. That's not the case. But it just happens to be out of God's grace. He allows us to have this opportunity, and maybe if that was a deal breaker for you, now you have no excuse, right? You have these early services that we're going to start in October that you can come out to. But in October 25th, 1964, there was a game between the Minnesota Vikings and the San Francisco 49ers. And, and it was a pretty close game. It went to the fourth quarter, and the 49ers, they had the ball, but the Vikings were up. They make a stop. If the defense, they create a turnover or they make a stance on third down, now uh, they can win the ball game. So this was a crucial moment in the game. So the 49ers, they, they, they start um, their, their offense, and sure enough, the Minnesota Vikings, they were able to force a fumble. So uh, the football came loose, and that ball happened to go to this guy named Jim Marshall. Jim Marshall is a defensive end. One of those guys who hunt down um, the quarterbacks. He's six foot four. He's 260 pounds, and he gets the ball, right? And normally that position, you don't have to run a lot, but he starts running towards the end, the end goal, the, the end zone, and he runs for 66 yards. This big man, he, he does everything in his power to make it into the end zone. And, and at the end zone, he throws the ball, he celebrates, he thinks that the game is over. And then one of the guys from the opposing team comes, o- comes over and says, well, thank you. And he's like, what? And he recognizes that he ran to the wrong end zone. And from that day, this happened you know, quite a while ago, but still, if you look up on YouTube, um, the, the, the plays that are not so smart, and they rank them, right? And this is definitely up there. He has this nickname called Wrong Way Marshall, just because of this one moment. He was a great player, but because of this one moment, he did everything in his power to reach the end zone. He, he, he did everything that he could with his body, and yet everything came in vain at the end because he had, was heading in the wrong direction. Could it be that as Christians within the church, that we try so hard to live a pretty godly life, that we try so hard to read our Bible, to to pray, to try our best, to give God our best, and and we do all these different things in the name of the Lord, that we have passion, we have dedication, we have um, determination, devotion towards God, and yet we are heading in the wrong direction to the point where at the end, all of our effort, all of our works are just going to come and end up in vain. Psalm 67, it lays out for us a clear direction, a clear trajectory in which every Christian should follow, in which every church should pursue. This is the direction that God gives for his people, all of his people. And it's pretty cool because this this whole psalm can be summarized in one sentence. This is not a hard concept. It's really a simple idea. 
And so here it is, the summary of, of, of this psalm. God gives grace to his people for the spread of his glory and for his praise among the nations. God, he gives grace to his people for the sake of his glory and his praise among the nations. That's what the psalm is about. And I love that first phrase, right? God gives grace to his people. I get that from verse 1. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Now, we often think, okay, blessing, praying for blessing, asking for God's favor, that's a bad thing, right? Those are what immature Christians do, right? Prosperity gospel. Those people are the ones who ask for God's favor and blessing. But notice, it's pretty clear that this psalmist right now is praying to God, making a plea, saying, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. He is utilizing that priestly benediction that's in Numbers 6 where God tells Aaron and his sons, the priests, to to bless Israel in such a way to say these words as a prayer of blessing upon his people. And so knowing that, the psalmist is praying that blessing in a prayer. God be gracious to us. And that statement itself is remarkable because what the psalmist is saying is this. He is making a request to the God who is almighty, who is holy, who is, who is absolutely pure and perfect in his ways. He's saying, God, we request that you will be gracious to people who are sinful, to people who offended you, to people who, who ignored you, to people who rebelled against you, who, to people who are imperfect compared to your glory, to people who have no reason to receive any favor whatsoever, and yet we pray that God, that you will be gracious towards us. That's, that's what the psalmist is saying, that you wouldn't give us what we deserve, which is judgment and your wrath, but rather you'd give us what we don't deserve, your mercy and grace. No, all of us, we have sinned against a holy God, and because of that, we have been set apart. We have been separated from God for eternity, but Praise be to God because out of his grace he sends his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And whoever believes in his name and and confesses that he is their Lord and Savior, God, what he says is that I will save that person. I will pour grace upon that person. I love what John 1.16 says. For in him, Jesus, his fullness, we have received, all received grace upon grace. Through Jesus Christ, the eternal word, the one who came to expose God's grace and truth, John says, from his fullness we have received. If you are a Christian, you have received the fullness of Jesus Christ, grace upon grace. And so this is our prayer, that we ask God, God, give us grace. Be gracious to us. But the next thing that he says is, bless us. Bless us, not not curse us. I mean, if if God were to react to all our sin and and all our shortcomings, what he should do is actually correct us, judge us. He should rebuke us. Yet, the psalmist says, God, bless us. Not based on what we have done, but based on what Christ has done. Bless us. And, you know, in one way, I think this is talking about spiritual blessing because Ephesians 1, 3 talks about how in Christ, those who are in Christ, that we have from the Father all 
the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, that everything that we can ever desire, we are given in Christ, it says in Ephesians 1. But not only that, I think this also has to do with material blessing or physical blessing as well. Look at verse 6 in today's passage. It talks about how the earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. So the reason why the earth has, has yielded increase is because God has blessed us. So there's this common notion that Christians have to be poor, that they can't succeed, that they have to fail in everything because God is everything, right? There's this notion that, no, we, we point fingers at people who are doing well, but the Bible tells us that, no, there is a clear teaching on God's blessing upon his people, that it's not just the spiritual blessing. Of course, everything is given to us spiritually in Christ, all the giftings. But at the same time, God, he, in different ways, he blesses us with health, with a life, with protection, with a house, with materials, with an education, with a career, all these different things, with relationships, with people. God blesses us in a very physical way. And the last thing that he says is, make his face shine upon us. Make his face, God your face, we want to see it. Make it shine upon us. And this is something that Timothy has been doing recently. If I'm with him and, and then I'm talking with someone else, you know, we're having a conversation, that he'll be there for a couple minutes, but like, he gets really antsy. He starts pulling on me. He's tapping. You know, he's like, come on, Dad, no, look at me. And, and, and if, if that doesn't work, he really grabs a hold of me. He makes noises. And he stops the moment that I look at his face. Why? Because at that moment, he knows that he has my full attention. When the psalmist is saying, make his face shine upon us, what he's asking is, God, we want your full attention. We want your very presence. We want all of you. That's, that's what the psalmist is saying. We pray for more of you. Notice that as the psalmist praying this, it's not an individual prayer, but it's a prayer of community, right? The psalmist doesn't say, Lord, well, let your face shine upon me or bless me or, or do, do all this for me. It says us. Be gracious to us. Bless us. Let your face shine upon us. And we talked about this yesterday in our church matter. So if you miss it, you can go online and, and listen to it. But how all these spiritual blessings and the fullness of the Christian life is really designed to get, be experienced in the context of the local church. is this idea of community that brings out God's favor and his grace even more so. So um, we see that this prayer is, is a prayer of community. And this just teaches us that if we want to live a life to the fullest of, of, of potential, the way that God designed it, that we have to be part of a local community that pursues the same blessing, the same favor, and the same presence in the Lord. God, he blesses his people. That he gives grace to his people. But there is a second part of that statement. And, and often I think we don't ask this question, why does God bless us? We, we know that God blesses us. We know that he is good to us. We always say that the Lord is good, but why? Is there a reason for his blessing? Is there a purpose behind his blessing? Every time we experience God's blessing, is God up to something? And the psalmist says, absolutely. 
He says, God gives us grace. His, he gives grace to his people for the spread of his glory and his praise among the nations. Look at the end of verse 1. It says, Selah, which is a Hebrew word that's often used in music. It's like a pause. And we know that Psalms, they, they were lyrics. People sang these words in, in, throughout the day. They sang these lyrics so that they can remember who God is and all that he has done in their lives. So when it says Selah, it's a musical term. Just stop right there. Just pause. Just soak in everything that, that the psalmist just said in verse 1. However, notice that this is a pause, but it's not a period. The idea of the psalm, it does not end in verse 1, but it leaks into verse 2. It says, that. So the idea of verse 2 is connected to verse 1. That, God, bless us. God, be gracious to us. God, show your face upon us. That you may be known on earth your saving power among all nations that the peoples praise you, O God. Let all, all the peoples praise you. So God gives grace to his people for the sake of his glory and his praise among all people. And that's why the psalmist is unashamedly asking for God's blessing and grace. That, that there's no reason for him not to because he knows that this is not for himself, but it is actually for God. No, it would be a sinful thing if this person is just saying, God bless me, and that blessing is going to stop right here. But the psalmist is saying, no, God, I pray for your blessing. I pray for your favor. I pray for more of your grace in every area of my life. I pray for more grace in my workplace. I pray for more grace in my studies. I pray for more grace in my families, in my marriage, in my friendships. I pray for more grace in direction. Why? not for my own sake, so that this blessing, this favor, this grace can go out, can flow out of my life to those who are in need, to those who do not know you, to those who are unaware of your saving power, to those who do not praise you. That's the purpose of God's grace. And you might say, well, that's a great idea, but isn't, isn't that something for the select few? for the crazy Christians, for those who are highly devoted. Isn't that something that you know, those people would do? And, and I just want to do a quick survey to make an argument that, that this is not just a special program or a special commandment that God is giving to special Christians, but this is the very heart of God from beginning to end in salvation history. In Genesis 1, it talks about how God creates man and woman both in his image. And he says in verse 28, it says that God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So as God's image, reflecting his glory, God blesses them so that they can go out and fill the earth. Genesis 12, God calls Abraham. He says, Abraham, you know, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation so that you may be a blessing to the nation. So that through you, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram has a son, Isaac, and it says in Genesis 26, 3 and 4, Isaac, you're going to be a sojourner, a traveler in this land, but I will be with you and I will bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. I will give you your offspring, all these lands, and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Isaac has a son, Joseph, 
Genesis 28, same thing, talks about how all the families and the earth will be blessed because Jacob is blessed. Exodus 9, we come to this scene where God is trying to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and Moses is struggling. He's like, why are you trying to do this? You know, Pharaoh is not bending. No, he's not letting his people go. And, and God says in Exodus 9, 16, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. In Joshua 6, we see that God leads his people to this place called Jericho. And the way that he tells them to, to fight is not through swords, it's not through uh, battle plans, but it's through music, trumpets, making a sound, walking around. And Joshua says this, and at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city, and the city... All that is within it, it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. So Joshua says, the victory that we have, it's not because we had amazing trumpet players that were able to break down walls, but it's because the Lord leads us to victory and the world will know that. In 1 Samuel 17, David faces Goliath and stands before this giant and, and as this giant is mocking David, David says this, this is the day of the Lord that he will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down. I will cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Why does Solomon build a temple? It says in 1 Kings 10, Solomon dedicates this temple and says that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Daniel 3, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who does not bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar and then as a result, they are thrown into a, a fire pit. And, and, and as a result, you no, know, they are in this burning fire, but God's grace covers them, protects them, and they come out. And King Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan god, who, this, this pagan king who doesn't even know God, says this, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against this God shall be torn limb from limb, and their house laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Isaiah 49, 6 talks about this. It is too a little thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I'll make you as a light of the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And you might ask, well, isn't this just an Old Testament concept? And you look at the New Testament, the Gospels, and Jesus comes that he lives a perfect life, a sinless life. He goes to the cross for the sins of the world. He dies a perfect death. He pays the ultimate penalty for our sins. And he rose again on the third day. And you see the last thing that he says really is Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 24, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You have this amazing command given by Jesus to his people to go out. Now that they have experienced God's grace in salvation, you go out. And the end of Luke, it's this beautiful picture of Jesus blessing his people. And Luke wrote also the second volume, the book of Acts. And the ultimate blessing comes. The Holy Spirit comes down. God 
himself resides in his people. God, in his grace, gives the Holy Spirit to us. For what? So that you would be my witness, first in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in Galatians 1, Paul talks about how he has, he has been called by God's grace so that he might preach Jesus among the Gentiles. And we go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and we see in Revelation 7, every tribe, nation, tongue, language, all gathered together. And, and they are worshiping the lamb, clothed in white robes. They cry out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And so this is the very message of the Bible. If you want to understand what the Bible is about, it's about God blessing his people so that they will bless others, so that others would know the glory of God, that they would sing the praises of God. That's not just a few people in a certain area, but all nations. That is God's plan. God gives grace to his people for the spread of his glory and the praise among all peoples and that means then, if you have breath, that if you have something in your possession, if you have something to be thankful for, even if you have an able body, then you have a reason to live for God's mission. That you have been receiving this grace, but that grace should never stop within you. It should flow out of you. In Pastor David Platt, he talks about this, this idea, the ultimate this connection that the church loves the idea of grace, right? We, we love the idea of grace. That, that word just resonates in our heart. It, it just fires us up. But a lot of times we forget about the purpose of God's grace. And that's where this ultimate disconnect happens because God clearly says in Psalm 67 and throughout the Bible that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour my favor upon you. That I'm going to give you my grace for the sake of my name in the nations, for the sake of my glory, for the sake of my praises. If you were to be received a question, what is the message of Christianity? How would you explain it? How would you answer that question? If a non-believing friend, friend came to you. Uh, I, I actually did this to a lot of our youth, youth students, and, and the majority would quote John 3.16, right? Um, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So the message of the Bible, the mes message of Christianity is God loves you. That, that he, he loves you so much that he gave his one and only son for you, and if you would only believe it, that you would be with this God forever. Now, that, 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 is, that is true. That, that's, that's in the Bible, it's, it's true that God loves me and loves you. It's not a false statement. It's just an incomplete statement. Because John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And if you understand that God loves the world, not just you, but the world, then once you understand God's grace and you are equipped with God's grace, then you too would love the world because that is exactly what God loves. The problem with this, and, 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 and 
Pastor David Platt, he explains this. The problem with having this idea that ultimately Christianity is about me is when we make decisions in faith, every decision is going to be about me. If the object of Christianity is me, then whether I come to church or not, it's about me. Whether I pray or not, it's about me. Whether I serve or not, it's about me. It's about me, me, me. The problem is the object of Christianity, the object of the Bible is not me, it is God. And when we are able to say that God loves me so that I can live for his glory, so that I can spread his praises among nations, that's when the picture becomes complete. And that's when our object of faith no longer becomes us, but now it becomes God. You know, we live in a world, a culture, where it's constantly telling us, live for yourself, and by the way, stay where you are. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to go out of your boundaries. Just stay where you are. That's the message of this world. The message of the Bible is, no, God calls you that you have this incredible, unending grace in Christ Jesus. Because of that grace, no, you go out. And you share the good news among the nations, that you live for his glory and the glory of his name. God's plan it has always been the same. From the beginning to end, his plan was to assemble a group of people. And to this people, he was planning to pour out himself so that this people could live for his missions. In, in, in these seven verses, 11 references we have among people people, nations, the earth. And why do you think that's the case? Because God wants you to know that he loves people, that he cares for people. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. God, he loves people. And there are people, two billion people in this world right now who never heard the name of Jesus. I'm not talking about people who don't worship Jesus. Two billion people in this world who never even heard the name of Jesus. And they don't even have a chance because the people of God receive the blessing of God. But they want to use it for themselves rather than for the glory and the praises of God. You know, I read the book called Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. And he talks about how this idea where missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, but it's worship and how we do missions because worship does not exist. And and that just changed my perspective on my life and, and Christianity. Because I always thought mission was a program. That missions was something that you do in a season. That mission was something for the select few. But, but if this is true, if what the Bible is saying is true, then missions is the very heart of God. That, that this is it. And so what does this mean? I think we can respond to this text in two different ways. The first thing is this, we got to pray for God's blessing. We, we got to pray hard for his favor. We got to pray hard for more of his grace, grace upon grace, every single day, specifically in areas that we're struggling with. You know, after reading this, I'm, I made a decision. I'm going to pray Psalms 67 verse 1 and 2 every single night to my kids, that I'm going to pray for them, that God will bless them, that, they would, that God will raise them, that God would pour his favor upon them but I'm not going to pause there so that, that, that people might, might know who, who God is and might experience the saving power of God. The reason why you ask for God's favor in, in your workplace is so that, that those who don't know Jesus might come to know him. 
The reason why you, you pray favor upon your studies is so that you might have an opportunity to share about God's glory and make his name known among the nations. The reason why you pray for your marriage is so that you can display the beautiful picture of the gospel that's embedded in marriage so that people may know that marriage is not just for people but it is for God and for the gospel. Whatever you have today, if you have breath, if you have wealth, if you have health, if you have life right now, if you are married or single, whether you have kids or don't have kids, whether you have a job or not, whether you have an education or not, you have time, you have skill, you have no excuse. In different ways, in different levels, God blesses his people. However, every single person is blessed in Christ. And if you are in Christ then you have a mission. God's purpose of of grace is to spread his name among the nations. So the second way that we can really respond to this text is not just asking for God's blessing, but to look at areas of our lives to see what we have and how God already blessed us in immeasurable ways. Did you know that you live in the wealthiest country in the wealthiest county? Not that maybe you're comparing yourself to all these rich people, but literally, like, there are people who wish they would be in your shoes. There are people who wish that they would have the resources that we have. Just look at the video from Pastor Deva. He talks about how we send this support, and, and, and it was a good amount, but at the same time, like, you know, comp- I was thinking in US, U.S. currencies, all the stuff that we can buy here, like, I was thinking, what can we do with that money? And, and it goes over to India, and, and he's, talk, he's talking about how it helped people during COVID, that it feed more than 300 families, that people had an opportunity to, to hear the gospel and, and know the Lord. It's incredible what, you're, what, what God can do with what little you have. So trust in him. Believe in him. If you are a recipient of God's grace, know that you have a mission to live out. So today, as a church, individually, I want to pray for blessings, more blessings, but for the sake of the nations. Amen? Let's pray.